Hey everybody, my name is Rachel Cologne. I am on staff here with Jamie Paffa. What up, Connie? Connie, how you doing? Um, a little, for those of you who do not know me, um, I, yeah, well, once again, I'm on staff here. I, I came on staff last year, uh, joined the team, and it's crazy that we're in this room tonight because two years ago, um, Chi Alpha had just pioneered, and it was week three, and I came um, with a band to volunteer to lead worship in the third week of worship, and it's where I met Jared, and I met a guy named Ryan, and Emily, and Evie, a girl named Chloe. Um, she's no longer with us. She's alive, but um, <laughs> just not here. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's so cool how the Lord brings it full circle. Um, little personal note about me. I am engaged. Come on, somebody. My boo thing's in the back. He's so cute. Yeah. Um, 38 days could never go by so slow. So I am very ready to be married. I'm sure you guys do not feel similarly. Because when I was a freshman, sophomore, junior, I was like, oh, no. Um, but I'm pretty pumped about it now. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. Um, for those of you who have been with us throughout the whole series, um, but for those of you who have not, we are going through a series called um, Hope. And it's a series through the book of Luke. Um, about two weeks ago, Josh Moran, um, he came and brought the word. Um, and he spoke out of Luke 4 about how Jesus was the fulfillment of a prophecy seen in Isaiah. And I'm just going to read that real quick. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, come on, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Man, that is some fulfillment of a prophecy in one man. So once again, a quick summary of what Josh preached on. He preached on how Jesus... Um, is the one to bring freedom for us personally. He brings freedoms for others and that we need to be, we need to get uncomfortable in order to share that love of Jesus and that freedom with other people. So with that in mind, we're going to stay in that vein um, of talking about how Jesus changes everything and specifically how he brings hope to hopeless situations. Um, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in the word. Got a lot to cover tonight, so buckle your seatbelts. So, all right, dear God, I thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, that you are among us. Lord, that um, you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. And so, Lord, as, we, as we've worshipped you, God, I thank you that our hearts are set upon you. God, I pray that you'd help me um, to um, share your word. Lord, I pray that... Um, yeah, that we'd be just open to what you're saying. God, I pray that you'd be, um, that you would help me be open to what you're saying, Jesus. And um, yeah, help me to communicate because um, Lord knows, you know, I need you. Um, we love you, Lord. In your name we pray. We all say, amen. amen. Dope. Thank you. Who said amen loudly? I appreciated that. Thanks, Adam. Also, man, I feel like I don't even have to preach after those three testimonies. That Christianity isn't a part-time thing, that the love of Jesus, man, being overwhelmed by the love of Jesus and the responsibility, oh, come on, come on, you know, 
I could just put this down, but I won't because tonight is the night that I'm going to share this. So a little bit of background before we dive into the passage. We're going to be in Luke 7. So if you flip your Bible in half and then cut in a half again on the right side, you'll find Luke. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's one of the Gospels. Um, And once again, we will be in Luke 7 and we're going to be working our way through 7 and 8. So yeah, sheesh. Here we go. So once again, um, so where we're picking up, Jesus has kind of become a big deal. Um, he started doing miracles. He start, um, he's collected the 12. He's commissioned, uh, in a few chapters, we'll see that he commissions the 12, but he's begun collecting these men. Um, and the news and the reputation of Jesus has begun to spread. And some people love him. Some people really don't like him, like at all. And then some people are just kind of trying to figure him out. And they don't know how to feel about him. So tonight we are going to go through five stories. We're going to be following about five different people. And the first person that we are going to follow is the centurion. So in chapter 7, verse 1, it starts, And there's a centurion, and a centurion is a Gentile. And for those of you who do not know, uh, there are two people groups in the Bible, and that's an oversimplification. But um, there are the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Jews were God's chosen people, and then the Gentiles were everybody else. And so the Jews are awaiting their Messiah, thinking that the Messiah is just coming to save them, but in reality, the Messiah is coming for all people, for the Jews and the Gentiles to be reconciled in one. So there was a little bit of tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. So in addition to the centurion being a Gentile, he's also a Roman. During this time, the Romans were oppressing the Jews. And in addition to him being Roman, he was a Roman soldier. Um, A centurion is uh, a Roman soldier who's over about 100 men. And And this centurion had a slave who was very sick. Um, And he loved his servant. He loved his slave, which once again, we see that this is a little bit bizarre, this man, because back in the day, a slave or a servant was seen as property. And so if one became sick to the point of where they're about to die or they couldn't work anymore, um, the owner could kill the slave because it's like, well, if you're not, if you can't work, then why am I going to house you? So this centurion, he's, he's grieving over the fact that his slave is sick. And so he hears of Jesus, and he hears of his miracles, and hope begins to rise up in him. And so he has some friends who are actually um, Jewish religious leaders, and he sends them to Jesus, and they ask him, and they, they explain the whole story. There's a centurion, he's helped to build um, your, the temple, he's helped and helped Jewish people. Um, he's a good guy, come follow us so that you can heal a servant. So Jesus agrees and follows these men out. And then the centurion sends out some more friends. And the friends, um, uh, and the friends communicate this message. And it says, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should, ever, that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not, think, did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. 
And I say go, and he goes, and I say to another come, and he comes. When seeing the Messiah, when hearing about the Messiah, the centurion, once again, he felt hope stir in his heart. And once again, you see that um, there's this humility that's he, that he's walking in, that he understands the, the tension in the day, that Jesus being a rabbi, a Jewish teacher coming under a Roman centurion's roof would not look too good. So the centurion's looking out for Jesus and he's like, hey, like you don't even have to come under my roof. So once he's demonstrating, first of all, he's demonstrating this humility. And then second of all, he says, if you just say the words, my servant will be healed. So he sees and puts ultimate faith and trust in Jesus, a man that he, I didn't realize this until studying this passage now, the centurion never even met Jesus. He just has these, like, he's just sending these people to communicate this message. But there's still this faith and this boldness that he's like, I know you're going to heal my servant if you were to even just say the words. And then on top of that... He sees the authority that Jesus walks in and understands it as I'm a, I'm a commander in the Roman army and, and I'm under authority and I see that you're walking under authority. So he sees that he is marked not just by man-made authority, but authority from God, which at this point, many of the Jews didn't even recognize this. So the centurion's recognizing once again that Jesus doesn't just have authority um, with men, but has authority over the body, over disease, and over sickness. And so we see um, just in general that the status of the centurion's servant was terminal. He was on his deathbed. No one could help. Doctors couldn't help. He was at the end of his life. But then just one step, one reaching out to Jesus, and Jesus restores in a moment. Fast forward to the end of the story. The men go back to the household, and the servant is well and awake in his bed, and he's healed. And then also Jesus celebrates the faith of the centurion and says, I have not seen faith like this even in Israel. Which, when we look at the word faith, faith is complete belief, trust, or confidence in someone or something. So once again, faith is complete belief, trust, or confidence in someone or something. And this centurion, he let his faith compel him to action. His faith was truly set in Jesus that it compelled him to go to the one that he knew was the only one that could help. So we see that Jesus has authority over death and over sickness. And also we see that for every problem, Jesus has a redemptive solution. So next, in chapter 7, once again, verse 11, we're just going to roll through these stories. We see that there is a childless widow. And it's important to note that she um, is a widow because in this day, um, if, a, if a woman didn't have a male heir or a husband at this point, um, it was most likely that she'd become destitute, that there's no one, there wasn't a lot of places for women to work, there wasn't a, a lot of things for her to do to make a living for herself. And also we see that, um, so the way the story goes is that Jesus sees this procession uh, of a funeral procession walking out. And um, back in the day, they didn't leave bodies around for a very long time. 
Nowadays, if someone passes away, they might go to the morgue for a while, and then there'll be a burial a couple days later. And this time, they, dead bodies were unclean. So it's like, we got to get this thing, we got to get this body cleaned and buried so that we don't have an unclean body in our house. So in addition to this woman grieving the loss of a child, she's also grieving the fact that she, she doesn't know what's next. I don't have a husband, now I don't have a son, it's my only son, and I don't know how I'm gonna make ends meet. So once again, there's this funeral procession that's taking place, walking his casket out of the city walls to be buried, and the Bible says that Jesus uh, had compassion on her. Jesus enters the scene and he has compassion on her. So he walks up to the coffin, and he reaches out to touch it and pause. Back in the day, once again, dead bodies were unclean. So here's this rabbi who's doing something extremely radical. He's walking up to a dead body, which would make him unclean. So everybody around him's like, whoa, what are you doing? Why are you getting close to this dead body? Don't you know that you won't be able to enter the temple if you touch that dead body? Don't you know that you're gonna have to go through some um, rituals to make you clean again? But then Jesus, once again, he walks up boldly to the coffin and he says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the young man begins to get up and talk. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody walked up to a casket at a funeral and said, young man, arise, and then the dead body just sits straight up, I think I'd be a little startled and taken back and freak out a little bit in like a really great way. I'd be like, yo, like Danny's alive again. Hallelujah. I, I don't know if there's a Danny in the room, but that could be for someone here. But um, but this is wild. And then faith once again was birthed in a moment. The crowd that was with the funeral procession begins to um, glorify God and say, a prophet has risen among us and God has visited his people. Jesus is ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom of hope and a kingdom where the impossible is made possible, where dead bodies aren't dead for a very long time, but they come back to life. And so once again, we see that the status of this young man, it, he was beyond terminal. He wasn't just about to die. He was dead, dead, like D-E-D, -E -D, dead, dead. <laughs> and the status of the widowed woman was she was like the status of her, her like future finances potentially was terminal. She didn't know what she'd do. She didn't know how to make ends meet. But then once again, Jesus enters the scene and Jesus restores and we see that Jesus has authority over, over death. And we see that, Jesus, that for every problem, Jesus has a redemptive solution. So, continuing on, there's a story of a prostitute in chapter 8. And, um, and she was rejected, she was alone, she was misunderstood. Um, she had quite the reputation around town and she hears news about Jesus. She hears news that, that this man is proclaiming that sinners can become saints and that sinners have, have a way to salvation. And she takes hold of the message and she believes it in her heart. Scholars believe that when she heard the message once again that she believed, 
And so when reading Luke through that lens, it says, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in a Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask full of fragrant oil. She heard the good news. She believed the good news. And she sought out the one who provided the good news. When she went with a plan and a purpose, she went to this house of a Pharisee, one who was known to reject her in the midst of town. Like these men would, wouldn't even make eye contact with her because it's like, I can't be associated with you. But Jesus was one who ate with sinners. He was one that loved people. He was one that saw that um, it wasn't the healthy that needed a doctor. It was the sick. And so she went with a plan to, and a purpose to anoint him with oil and in gratitude and in thanksgiving for the hope that she'd found in him. And then we continue to read that she stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair on her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. This is such an intimate moment. Can you imagine like being at Duke's dining hall or in the middle of a meal with your friends and then somebody walks into the room and just begins to weep over like someone in the room's feet? and wipe it with their hair. My hair's not long enough. I did think about like making everyone uncomfortable and like acting out the scene. Cause like, just to like show just how uncomfortable it would be, but my hair's not long enough. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but you can imagine it. Um, so she, there's this intimate moment happening where she's just pouring out her gratitude. That she's in a room full of people that condemn her and she meets the one that shows her grace and compassion who knows her, who knows the depth of her past. And yet he receives her in a room full of men that once again condemn her. She poured out her love and affection in front of, once again, a room that would quickly judge her and cast her away. We see that great faith, her great faith, leads to action to be in the presence of the one who can help. And Jesus sees her in all of it. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's not by works. It's not by anything that you can do. Like even if she were to approach a Pharisee and be like, I'm done with, the, I'm done with my past. It was, there was probably a pretty good chance that they'd be like, your past is too, it's too much. I don't even know what I could tell you to do to cover up the multitude of sin that you've done. But then Jesus meets her in the midst of it. And he's like, no, I don't want your works. I just want your heart. Your faith has saved you. And so he honors her in the midst of those that once again condemn her. So her status was terminal. Before meeting Jesus, her spirit, her soul was terminal. And we see that for ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to gain the grace of God on, on our own. There's nothing that we can do in our own strength. But through Jesus, he restores. Jesus restores. Even the most broken past, he's the, he is able to redeem and rewrite our history for his glory. And so once again, we see that for every problem, Jesus has a redemptive solution. Right? So good. Now we're going to read about a man named Legion. 
So this gets a little bit spicy. There was a man named Legion, and the reason why um, he was named Legion was because he had about a legion of demons crawling within him. A legion were 3,000 to 6,000 in an army. And so when we meet this man, his home, or not his home, his body is literally a home for 3,000 to 6,000 demons. Now, I don't know if you guys have interacted with a lot of demons. I maybe have like seen one demon-possessed person, but I have yet to interact with somebody that's have like been, you know, so far. Anyways, I'm going to move on. All right. So many would see this as completely hopeless, right? It's like, okay, that guy's clearly insane. Clearly, there's nothing that we can do. And the Bible says that, um, that he lived in the tombs and that there were men that would try to bind him and that they would try to guard him, but they, that he would break through the shackles and the chains that they would put around him. So he had this supernatural strength and that he would be driven into the wild and the demons would seize him. So we see that man couldn't tame him and, we couldn't, and he couldn't tame himself. So once again, his body was a home for all these demons. But then Jesus meets the scene. Yeah, he comes onto shore and Legion, this man, meets him on the shore. And Luke says that when the man saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. And with a loud voice said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. The demons, the demons within the man recognize Jesus. And the reason why they recognized Jesus was because a new authority was just ushered into the environment. They saw that they were no longer in charge of a situation. They're no longer in charge of a man. But Jesus entered the scene and they saw him as the most high God. And that's because he is. But then Jesus meets him and simply just casts out the demons into a herd of pigs. And then the herd of pigs drowns themselves. And the, the, the pig farmers, pig shepherds, I don't know if that's, a, that's probably not a thing. The pig farmers freak out. They run into town and tell the town, dude, there's this guy that casted out like that, the demons out of this other guy. And now like he's like, okay. And so then the whole town runs back and they see, and this is wild to me. The town comes and they find the man in his right mind. Luke says that. They find the man in his right mind and they were afraid. And so they ask Jesus to leave. This confuses me so much when reading this passage. It's like if I had, if my city or town had a demon-possessed man that lived outside the gates, that ran around naked and would scream and hurt himself and had supernatural strength to like rip off his shackles and then, so, like, and then someone came and freed the man of these demons. Like, I feel like I'd be like, wow, thank you so much because this man is now saved from like this torment. And also like, we don't have this crazy man running around our town, but they ask Jesus to leave. And so then the question comes to mind, when does our brokenness become our become the norm the normal the status quo when does since when did sin become the normal since when did our brokenness become the normal and so that makes me think some of us including myself 
have settled for partial freedom in our own lives and in situations that surround us. We have become comfortable with our condition and we don't pursue the greater thing, to be freed or healed. Our chains have become our comforter. Like, why, why be okay? It's like, oh, well, I've just lived this way for so long. We've just always had this demon-possessed guy outside our gates. Like, so that's normal. Like, why did you change the situation? Wild to me. Don't, I don't know what's up with this town, but I know that's not us. But, I mean, like, there could be something in our lives. I digress. All right. So after this, the man begs Jesus, like, let me go with you. I want to follow you. And then, and Jesus says no. And he commissions this man, who's probably been free for like, let's say two to four hours, to be the first missionary to his town. It's like, and he says, go share what I've done for you. And that's enough, the testimony of Jesus. So he goes to his town and shares the good news. The good news that the normalness of brokenness is not the normal of the kingdom. That the normal of brokenness is not the normal of the kingdom. That there's greater hope, that there's greater freedom, that there's greater love, that there's greater compassion, that that, that is kingdom. And so we see the status of this man was terminal. Spiritually terminal. Literally crawling with demons. Terminal. His soul was like, yikes. You know what I'm saying? But then Jesus comes and he restores and he shows that I have authority over the spiritual and it makes me, this is a little bit of a side tangent, but I'm going to go for it. And it makes me think in our world, we have people looking for spiritual things. I feel like more than ever, people are looking into um, crystals and they're looking into Ouija boards and they're craving something spiritual. But the thing is, you can't get more spiritual than Jesus Christ. He is the most spiritual. He is creator. He is salvation. He is everything. He is the most spiritual. And any other spiritual experience is counterfeit and is dangerous and it's demonic. So don't be messing around with all that stuff because go to Jesus. That's the most spiritual. Okay. All right. So we see again, if you want to read it, for every problem, Jesus. Well, he, he has restores, that's right. But for every problem, Jesus has a? Woo! Come on, somebody. Sorry about that. Hi, how you doing out there? Sorry. Okay. Um, and then finally, this is my favorite story. This is like one of my heart passages. It's the woman with the issue of blood. So there is a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. So when approaching her, her physical condition, um, she was most likely very weak. She had very low blood pressure, probably low blood sugar. She was cramping, probably fatigued, um, was extremely underweight, potentially pale, and potentially in pain. Um, her social condition, um, she would have been an outcast in her community. According to Mosaic law, a woman on their period is unclean. Um, that means that any, anyone or anything that she touched would become unclean. So that means that, like, if I was on my period and I sat in that chair that Catherine's sitting in, and then, I don't know, Morgan sat in that chair, he would become unclean by association, which is just wild to me. That it was literally that the... I don't, praise God for the cross because now we don't have to worry about that stuff. But during this time that she was unclean, 
Her condition was unclean. That means that she wouldn't have been touched for 12, at least 12 years, which for me, whose love language is touch, would have been like a death penalty. And that would have sucked. I really appreciate hugs. So just so you guys know, hugs are important. Um, And also if she was married, um, this would have given her husband, this was grounds for her husband to divorce her. Um, so her spirit or her social condition was she was an outcast within her community. When approaching her spiritual condition, since she was unclean, she couldn't worship in the temple. She couldn't take part in any rituals or worship that she would do with her community. And on top of that, she was broke. And the Bible says that she spent all that she had on doctors and medications and prescriptions, all that left her more broken than before, more broken and broke. She was desperate, she was alone, and, and then she heard of Jesus. Man, how sweet the name of Jesus. She heard of Jesus and the fame of his miracles, and once again, faith was born. So she hears that Jesus is entering the town, and so she's like, this is my moment. So she goes and she reaches out through this town, through the crowd, and she touches the hem of his garment. And in a moment, she knows that she is healed. Now, in addition to this, really cool little side note, um, and I forget where it is, but somewhere in the Old Testament, it talks about that the Messiah will have healing in his wings. The word wings in Hebrew can also be translated to hem of one's garment. So when she was reaching out, saying like, if I only, you can read that, If I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. When she does this, it's a declarative act that I believe he is the Messiah. That if I even grab the tassel, the hem of his garment, I'm going to be healed. He is the Messiah. There's healing in his wings, and I'm taking it from me and now. So she's healed. And so in a moment, there's this glorious exchange that takes place. That the woman who, who's been used to anything or anyone that she touches to be made unclean, there's this exchange where she doesn't make the teacher dirty, but the teacher makes her clean. And so once again, we see her status. She's terminal. She's an outcast within her community. She's broken. She's sick. And then Jesus restores. And in a moment, her world is changed. And we see that Jesus has authority over sickness. And we see that for every problem, Jesus has a redemptive solution. For every situation, Jesus has the power to change it. And for every sickness, Jesus has the ability to heal it. Um, If the band could return as we're going to come to a landing. When we read these stories of the centurion, the widowed woman, the the redeemed woman, I want to say, the man who was legion, And the healed woman, we read of the testimonies of Jesus, his goodness, his love, his mercy. And we, we, where these testimonies are shared, we see that faith takes place and faith manifests. And we see that the same Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago is still the same Jesus that walks with us today. It's the same power. It's the same spirit. It's the same love. It's the same compassion. And once again, uh, at the beginning, I read Isaiah 61, that Jesus was the one, uh, he was the anointed one to bring good news to the poor, to free the captives, to bring healing sight to the blind. And, and I'm rem- reminded that freedom isn't all that free, that our freedom wasn't 
that it came at a pretty great cost. And if you flip back to Isaiah 53, it says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him with low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered, considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. The radical love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus. We have access to this hope and we have access to this freedom because he was willing to give it all for us. He, he came to the earth as a baby. He walked a sinless life. He, he lived to die. He was beaten and mocked. He was plotted against. He was betrayed. He, was, he died on a tree and resurrected all for the sake of me and all for the sake of you. And so that question, does Jesus really have the power to change things for me personally? Yes. The empty grave continues to testify of our risen Lord. Does Jesus really know what I'm going through? Yes. He keeps count of the numbers of hair on your head. Does he even care? Yes. The scars on his hands and the whip marks on his back and the wounds on his side are, are a declaration of your worth. And so no matter your circumstance, um, Jesus is the solution. If it be finances, physical healing, uh, relational healing, anxiety or worry, mental illness, eating disorders, addiction to alcohol, pornography, or the opinions of others, Jesus has the ability to heal and redeem. He has the ability to restore our peace, release us from addiction, redeem our brokenness, and heal us, for, heal our bodies and our minds. He is able and he is willing. And so do we let our circumstances overwhelm us to the place of immobility? Or do we let them compel us to the one who, who can help? Do we sit as victims to our situation? Or do we go to the one who makes us victorious? The centurion sought him out. The prostitute sought him out. The woman with the issue of blood sought him out. Do we seek him out? Um, we're going to go into a, a, a time of response. And so I'm going to ask that um, if you'd like to stand and just move to a place where you can respond and ask Jesus um, and just surrender to him and ask what's going on in my heart. Is there anything that I'm withholding from you? Is there anything that you want to usher me into greater healing, into greater freedom? Um, just asking him for that. And then also... Um, also, there may be some of you that have never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, um, that you've heard the name of Jesus, but you haven't actually made him Lord of your life. And so this is your time. Um, so as we move, um, if you want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life, or you just have questions of what that even means, go to your core group leader or one of the staff members, and we'd love to pray with you. Um, and we'd love to, to talk with you of what the next steps are of what it looks like to lay uh, lay down our lives for him. Um, so once again, um, please feel free to, or please stand and move um, to a place where you can get with Jesus and the band will play. Um, 
And then uh, I'll come back up in just a moment.